Well, it's been a long time since I've stood in this pulpit. And some of y'all said, well, that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, let me catch you up on a couple. By the way, I, Gloria and I have been attending the services and your second service here for, for a while when we're not out running around somewhere. And I want to tell, tell First Baptist Church, you have two good preachers in this church, and I'm not one of them. But uh, Perry, Perry, I, I, I love to listen to Perry preach. All missionaries are good preachers, aren't they, Perry? Yeah, I served 26 years in Southeast Asia in, in China. And, 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 and Nick, God bless his heart, I told Nick this morning, I said, Nick, when I, when I sit and listen to you, that's kind of like listening to David Jeremiah. I just, that's just, woo, that's just good preaching. And uh, I, I like that. Well, you're not going to get any of that today. Uh, God has allowed me the privilege the last nine years of serving at Grace Mennonite Church here. You know, I, poor, poor Grace. I, I, Dave, they're not recording this service, are they? Oh, they are. Oh, I've got to be careful what I say. Uh, uh, they, they've, had a, they've had a Southern Baptist pastor over there for 20 years now. Uh, uh, Perry, the, the former chaplain up there at the hospital, uh, Dennis Street was there for 10 years, and then I followed him, and I was there for nine years. And, and so, bless their heart, they're Baptists. They just don't know it. Uh, but it's been a long time since I've been here at First Baptist Church, and I, I've always loved this church. It's meant a lot to Gloria and I when we moved here from Norman, Oklahoma back in 2000. This was the church that we made our, our home. And I want to share a couple of things that have happened in my life since I was last here and, uh, and, and then share a few words from God. From God. Uh, there's two things that I, I want to share with you to help you understand kind of where I'm at right now. Three years ago, I went to my dentist here in Enid to get my teeth cleaned, you know, and, uh, and he, he was cleaning my teeth, and he said, uh, he said, I said Richard, I, I, I'm concerned about something. I'm going to send you over to Dr. Bowman and, and look at something in your mouth. And so I went over to Dr. Bowman, and Dr. Bowman looked at that, and he said, I'm going to take a cut out of that and send it in and have it tested. And they did that, and it came back and said, you've got a cancer in your upper gum. And the long and short of that is I was taken, went up to Stevens Cancer Center and and uh, they cut out not only that spot, but they took the entire gum out on the upper right side. And I'm explaining that. So I asked Dr. Vassin, my surgeon up there, I said, well, you know, I'm a preacher. I'm not very good right now. What's this going to do to me? And uh, he said, well, he said, you'll sound like an Aussie. I said, like an Aussie? He said, you'll sound like an Aussie. I said, I don't want to sound like an Aussie. I want to sound like Richard Stevens. Anyway, if you notice sometimes that I hesitate a little bit in my speak or if I speak a little bit of a lisp that's I've got 50 yards of barbed wire fence in my in my mouth okay I don't have to use it the second thing I want to share with you by way of kind of bringing you up to date is, is concerning the story of my lovely wife Gloria who'll be here in the second service I hope uh, uh, a year ago September September the 9th I'd gone uh, Perry I'm sorry I went to St. Mary's Church I had a, a St. Mary's Hospital I had a uh, I, I had occasion of having some intense pains in my abdomen, and so I went up there in kind of an emergency room, and and, uh, and the long and short of that, the doctor came in. This was about this was in the morning, and he said, "You're going to have to have surgery right now." And I said, "Well, okay." And uh, so on September the 9th of last year, uh, they they cut me open. And by the way, if if anybody ever goes to you and tells you you need surgery on your abdomen, tell them no. Just, just say no. I'd rather die, and uh, and so they they kept me open anyway, and they did that that afternoon, 
and my wife, uh, Gloria, was with me. Of course, she was up in the waiting room of the surgery. And, and by the way, y'all don't know Billy Benson. He's the pastor over at uh, uh, Garland Road Baptist Church. But Garland, his wife was having surgery at the same time. And Gary, B Billy was up there with my wife. They were visiting together while I was in surgery. And the surgery was done, and I wheeled up in my room. And, and Gloria came in to see me. It was about 8 o'clock at night now. And she said, no, I'm going to go home and get some rest. And, and I'll be up to see you first thing in the morning. I said, okay, sweetheart. And she left. And the next morning I woke up and I was kind of waiting for Gloria to come. And she didn't come at 8 o'clock and 8.15 didn't come and 8.30 didn't come. And, and my phone rang. And it was my daughter, Cindy. And she said, Daddy, Mama's had a stroke and it's a bad one. And uh, we're bringing her into St. Mary's Hospital right now. The EMTs to come out there and pick her up and we're taking her to the hospital. And... Uh, I'll abbreviate this little story down, but I want you to know where, where God has led me through. And so they brought her in, and uh, and the doctor there in the hospital put me in a wheelchair, and I had had tubes sticking in my body, and, and I couldn't talk. I had a tube going down my nose, and they wheeled me down to the emergency room so I could be with Gloria. And uh was down there, and my poor little wife was laying there. And my daughter, my Didi, had come in from Stillwater, and, and, and Cindy was there with her. And the doctor looked at Gloria, and they looked at some x-rays, and they said, this was, this was the word of the doctor there in the emergency room, we'll try to keep her comfortable. In other words, they were not going to do anything for her. And my, my daughter, Cindy, bless her heart, said, that's my mother. She's in there. And long and short of that, they brought an airplane in from Tulsa. They couldn't fly a helicopter, and they brought a plane in from Tulsa. Took her out here to the airport and flew her to Tulsa and put her in St. Francis Hospital. That was at the height of all the COVID problems. They had a hard time finding a place for her to go to. And uh, the, the doctor, the, the specialist, the surgeon, looked at Gloria and looked at the x-rays and saying, she says, I don't know if we can do anything for her or not. She's had a massive hemorrhagic stroke. And, uh, and Cindy said, do something. And they took her in. Now, it had been over 24 hours since her stroke. And they took her in and cut her open from one side over the head, over this other side here in the front, that frontal lobe, went down there and, and, and started sucking the blood out from there. And, and the, the doctor uh, was watching on a monitor as they were doing this. And he told my daughter later, said, when we began sucking that blood out, we watched her brain move back into position because the blood had pressed it out of position. All the time, I'm in the hospital here. I can't get out. I've got tubes in me. I can't do it. And I, I'm telling you all this to tell you this. I prayed to God. I prayed like I've never prayed. And I said, Lord, I'm not asking that she live. But I want to tell her I love her. I was in the hospital for three more days. My grandson had flown in from California to be with me. When I was finally was dismissed, I got in the car with my grandson, and we drove to St. Francis Hospital there in Tulsa. And I went into the room where my wife was. And bless her heart, Perry, they were so good to us over there at St. Francis. They let us off. Several of us go into the room at the same time. And... Uh, I went into the room, 
It was on my wife there, and she had all these tubes in her, and I just had them taken out of me. And I walked in the door, and I looked at my wife, and I said, Gloria, I love you. And she did this. I probably tell Gloria a dozen times or more a day that I love her because I didn't think I'd ever have the chance to. And she's done so miraculously well. She's just done miraculously well. I'll tell you what, uh, gang, don't let your wives have, have a stroke. It does strange things to them. One thing, my wife's sight has improved. I mean, she sometimes, Perry, she sometimes can't pull up a word that she's looking for. But I tell you what, she can see a speck of dirt across the room. <laughs> and she'll tell I said, now, there's no speck of dirt over there. And I go, looking, yes, there is. Well, I, 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 wanted, to tell you, I wanted to tell you kind of that. That's kind of the background of where, where I'm coming from right now. Gang, tell people that you love them that you, when you can. Just do that. I want to ask you a strange question. How many of you are considering committing some kind of a sin? Oh, maybe that's a strange way to start a message. Uh, but it's really not a strange way. The scripture passage that I've shared, that I'm going to share today, there's two passages for Elliot, one of them out of 2 Samuel and one out of Genesis. And, and let me just paraphrase these passages of Scripture. Over in the book of Genesis, it's a story where Abraham takes his son Isaac up on the Mount Moriah there to offer him as a sacrifice. And, and of course, you know the story how God stops him at the last moment. And, and when, when that act is, is completed, God speaks to Abraham. And God says this, Abraham, now I know that you love me. Seeing as you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And then he says this, and Abraham, because you've done this, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless you, and through you shall all the nations on earth be blessed. Okay, keep that story in mind. Slip over to 2 Samuel chapter 12, and there's the story of David. The night that he looked across this ramparts of his wall and saw Bathsheba, bathing herself on the top rooftop of another house and called her to his palace and committed adultery with her. And you remember after that, not long after that, and David then was responsible for the death of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah the Hittite. And uh, uh, David, had, David had Uriah killed in battle, if you remember. And after all that was over, the prophet Nathan came in to David and told him a story about the little man who'd stole his neighbor's sheep. Finally said, David, you're the man. And then, uh, and then Nathan said this, God's forgiven you, David. Hear me, gang. But the baby that's being born to Bathsheba is going to die. And furthermore, trouble will never. Now, listen, gang, never is a long time will never depart from your house because you've done this. I want to ask you a question. The question is this. I've already asked you if you're, if you're thinking about a sin. Many of you are not thinking about committing a sin, but you're going to probably do it anyway before the day's over. I, I, don't, I have no problem telling people I'm a sinner because the Bible says we all are, you know. 
But I want to ask you a question. If you commit a sin or continue in a sin, what will be the length of that sin? We have a tendency to, uh, to think of sin as being two-dimensional. That is, we say, well, there was a time and there was a place. There was a time when, when, when Abraham offered his son Isaac. There was a time when David committed adultery with Bathsheba. And there was a place. Mount Moriah are there in the, in, in the palace chapel. There was a time and there was a place when these acts occurred. And so we know that sin always has a time and has a place. And you think, about, well, I'm going to sin, but there's a time and a place. But listen, there's a third dimension about sin that I'm going to ask you to consider today. Because my desire as a pastor, my desire as a pastor is to ask you not to sin. Small, large, long, short. Because the third part of sin is a part that we don't consider. And it's a part that we absolutely have to consider. When I said that sin is three-dimensional, that's this. It has a time. It has a place. But gang, listen to me. Sin also has a length. It has a length. It has a way of not being able to be confined to the room in which it's committed in, but has a way of going on and on and on and on. The universal fact of life is that all of us have sinned and come short of God's glory. We have a tendency to make a lot of those sins. Sometimes not really realizing the ramifications of them. And so let me ask you a question. If you sin today, how far will that sin go? How far out will it reach and who will be touched by it out there? Because you see, both sin and obedience are three-dimensional. They have a time and a place, but they also have this third dimension called time. And we don't think about it. And my desire is to encourage you to live the Christian life, a life in which the phrase Jesus is Lord is not just a slogan, but a reality. How far does sin go? How far do the consequences reach out? How many people stand to be hurt by our actions? And how long does that hurt continue? When I was seven years old, growing up and as a child in, in Tulsa, my, my mom and dad got divorced. And uh, it, it wasn't a pretty divorce. Uh, uh, there had been some wrongdoing on both sides. And, uh, and, and they, they got a divorce. And my mother separated and went back to Old Moggy to live with, with her mother, with my grandmother. Me and my brother, who was 18 months older than me, and my sister, who was six years older than me, we went then to Okmoe to, to live. Our, our, our home, our family was broken. And I want to tell you something. There was a consequence of their actions that could not be confined within the walls of their own life, but continued out and swept over the walls of the children's life. My brother, at the age of 30 years of age, with a beautiful wife and three lovely girls, put a gun to his head and blew his brains out. My sister, who was a football queen in Okmulgee, at the age of 50, killed herself basically with an overdose. 
And we don't know when we set something in motion how far the consequences will go. And that's the reason I'm asking you, and by the way, I can ask that question very, very easily. How many of you are contemplating a sin? Because probably, though you may say it's a very small one, we all are. It's no problem me to confess that I'm a sinner. The Bible declares we're all sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Lord has laid upon Jesus Christ the iniquity of us all. But here what I'm saying is that sin is never committed in isolation. It's always touching people about us and people that we, we don't ever mean to hurt other people. But it does. The consequences of sin cannot be contained. I meet people every day that are hurting because of the sins of somebody else. Do you understand what I'm saying? You may think, well, it's just between me and my wife, or between me and my God, or between me and my child, or between me and my boss, but it's not. You, you, you cannot can contain it. No act of sin is ever free. David commits a sin with Bathsheba, and who suffers for it? Your eyes dies, the baby dies, and David's, and God says to David, David, the sword is never, never going to depart from your house. Achan sins, who pays the price for it? His family dies. Jacob sins, who pays the price for it? He has to flee to a far country. His mother who loves him will never see him again. Moses sins, and it's not permitted to enter the promised land. No Hey, gang, I, I can share this with you because I'm a sinner saved by grace. But I'm tired of making excuses for sins. Because no act of sin is ever free from a consequence. We may think we can contain it. We may think that it's only affecting me and nobody else. But it has an opportunity, has a way of affecting everybody about it. There's always a consequence to sin. Listen, gang, hear me. Even... For forgiven sins bear consequence. The fact that a sin is forgiven does not take away the consequences of that sin. God forgave David. But his family paid a terrible price. God forgives Moses. But he's still not allowed to enter the land of promise. You understand? No act of sin is ever free. No act of sin is ever committed in, in, in isolation. And always sin has a length to it. Sin has a length. It's true for my sins. And it's true for yours. The small and the great. And I want to ask you a question. If you sin today, who stands to be hurt tomorrow? The flip side of that's also true. I, I, I'm, I'm going to go to the flip side now. You'll like this one better. And that is this. Obedience to God also has a length. When you obey God, when God speaks to you and you know what he's saying to you, and you say, I will obey God. I will be true. I will be faithful. I will follow through with what God asked me to. There is a time when you do that. There is a place when you do that. Perry, I was... 
I was in a class of equity in law school at the University of Oklahoma. I looked like I was going to have to stay in school. I better get back over. Stay in, in, I was going to have to continue the rest of my life. And God spoke to me. I was in a class in equity, second year of law school. And God said, this is not what I want for you, Richard. I mean, it's just like he was speaking, like I'm speaking to you. This is not what I want for you. I said, God, I was engaged to poor Gloria. And that's why I always call her poor Gloria. And... Uh, but I wanted to be obedient to God. I, I, I'm not very smart, but I know this, that if I don't obey God, there's going to be a consequence for it. But obeying God, just like sinning against God, there's always a length. There's a consequence that falls out from our obedience, just as there's a consequence that falls out from our disobedience. And I want to encourage you, this congregation of a church that I love, I want to encourage you to obey God. Simple, small things, big things. I know there are temptations. I know there are trials. But stop and remember, if you obey God, what will be the consequences of your obedience? Because Noah obeyed God, his entire family was brought into the ark. Because Moses obeyed God in the first place, Israel crossed the sea. Because Peter obeyed God, the house of Cornelius was saved. And just think, what has come from Jesus' obedience? The Bible says that he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And that is followed by one of the greatest words in the entire world. Wherefore? Jesus was obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that he is Lord. The glory of God the Father. You know, I just believe if we obey God, that God has some wherefores out there for us too. A place that he will lead us to, a link that he will take us to. And, and, and the blessings that come into our life begin to, to spread out to other people about us. Abraham obeyed God. God came to him one night and said, Abraham, I've got something I want you to do. Abraham said, sure, Lord, I'll do what you want me. You, you need me to move again? I, I've moved several times. So what, you want me to move again? God said, no, no, I've got something else I want you to do. And Abraham said, well, what is it, Lord? He said, you've got a son, Abraham. Now listen to me, gang. Abraham had two sons. But God was going to specific one. He said, I want you to take your son, the one that you love, Isaac. You remember what the word Isaac means? It means laughter. I want you to take your laughter up. And I want you to take him to the hill that I'm going to show you. When you get there, I, I, I want you to offer him as a sacrifice upon that hill. Don't you come to me and tell me about all the hard things that God asked you to do. I know what's hard when God asks us to do certain things. 
I want you to take the laughter of your life, Abraham, and I want you to take it to this hill that I'm going to show you, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice to me. And the Bible says, incredibly, Abraham obeyed God. Took his son and walked up the hill, bound him with ropes, laid him on the altar, took the knife out of his sheath and, and held it up over his heart so the heart of his son was ready to plunge the, heart, the knife down into his son when God stopped him at the last possible moment. And then with tears in his eyes, God said, Now I know. By the way, gang, that's an interesting phrase. Now I know. Because you see, we want God to take us at our word. But God said, now I know. Now listen to me. I've talked about the length of disobedience, the length of a sin. You need to consider the length of obedience. When God saw that Abraham was going to be obedient, even to the offering of his son upon the altar, God says, Abraham, because you've done this, because you have not withheld your son, your only son from me, that in blessing I will surely bless you. And in through you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have not withheld the laughter of your life from me. Obedience has a length to it. Nations of the earth will come to them. The blessings of the Lord will flow out through the people who will flow from the loins of Abraham. Because obedience has a length. And in your offspring shall all nations on earth be blessed. Paul writes to the church at Philippi and he says this. Christ was, remember the word, obedient. Christ was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore? Let me ask you, what was the length of Christ's obedience? Did the death of Jesus Christ have a length to it? Surely it had a time under the rule of Pontius Pilate. Surely it had a place on a hill called Calvary. But did it have a length to it? How far have the blessings gone out from Calvary and swept over this sin-cursed world? How far have they gone? To what nations have they traveled to? There's not a place on this earth that you can go to that you will not find somebody that calls upon the name of Jesus Christ because of the sacrifice that his son made. The sacrifice that was made in Calvary has flowed out to the remotest parts of the earth. Now, we don't have a lot of young people in this service. There'll be more probably in the next service, but I want to ask, I want to ask our young people a question. Young people, all of them, me, when I was that age, that was a long time ago. Young people have a tendency to say this. It's my life. It's my life. I'll do what I want to with it. And I want to tell you something, young people, that's a devil's lie. First of all, if you say it's your life, I'm going to say then you need to get saved because you're not a Christian. A Christian will revolt with the poet that says, My life is not my own, to you have made a thine. If it should reach a monarch's throne, it must the crown resign. It only stands unbent amid the clashing strife. When on your bosom it is lent and found in this life, my life does not belong to me. The day I got on my face and called Jesus Christ to come into my heart to my Savior and Lord, Richard Stevens ceased to be the owner. 
And you can say it's your life, but I tell you what, it hurts everybody about you. People who love you and care for you. Yesterday, or Friday evening, actually, Friday evening, Gloria and I went out to uh, the, uh, the Mennonite sale, the MCC sale. You need to go out there and get some good beer rock. I didn't even know what a beer rock was until I became a Mennonite. Go out there and get a beer rock. And, and uh, we were uh, walking around out there, and uh, one of the young ladies that was in the church that I pastored there at Grace Mennonite came out to me and found me there, and said, a young mother, and just tears streaming down her eyes. Well, I knew why she had tears, because she got two teenage daughters. That's the reason she had tears. And she said, I can't mention the name, our heart is broken. You see, a young lady who says, it's my life, I'll live it as I want to. It's my life, doesn't realize that her life was so entwined with other people's lives that any action that she took was inevitably going to hurt and bring down other people with it. It's, it's not our life. It, it's, my life doesn't belong to me. I gave the right to this life years ago. It's just if you're going to give up your life, you need to be awfully careful who you give it up to. I asked Jesus Christ to come to my Lord as my Savior, my, my heart as my Savior and Lord. And I have not lived for him. I have sinned. Hardly a day has gone by that I have not sinned in thought or deed. But I know who my master is, and I have to get on my knees and confess and repent. By the way, I mentioned the divorce of my mom and dad when I was seven years old. And the consequences that came out of that divorce. Let me tell you another consequence that came out of that divorce. My mother went to live with my grandmother. My grandmother was one of the godliest women I've ever known. And, and I slept with her as a seven-year-old boy. I slept in her because she had a feather bed. And on Sunday mornings, my grandmother got up to go to church. And her little seven-year-old grandson followed her. Went to church, First Baptist. If the weather was nice, we'd go to First Baptist Church in Oakmoggy. If the weather wasn't nice... We'd go to the closest church around, which was the United Pentecostal Holiness Church. And I want to tell you something, folks. You did not go to sleep in the United Pentecostal Holiness Church. But I want to tell you something good came out of that. By my being raised in the house of my grandmother for two years made a difference in my life. For over 20 years, Perry, I served in Southeast Asia in the last seven or eight years in China. But for over 20 years, I served in Southeast Asia. I loved it, loved working there. And my favorite nation probably in Southeast Asia is a land that's known as Myanmar. Most Americans know it by Burma. And I've gone in there and worked and labored there and, and found a, a tremendous church that is already in existence there and, and, and growing and mighty and powerful. And I wondered how on earth did a church ever get into that nation like that that's, that's, that nobody had ever heard of. And somebody told me one day, it was because of somebody's obedience. Many, many years ago, a Baptist missionary by the name of Adoniram Judson got on board a ship in Boston Harbor with this young wife, Anne, made a seven-month sea voyage 
to a land he'd never been in, had hardly ever heard of, called Burma at that time. And there he labored. Listen, gang, Adoniram Judson labored two years before he had his first convert, a young Burmese by the name of Cotabu. But out of that start and out of those sacrifices, and Anne would never return to the state. She will die. Out of the sacrifices that were made there, a church was started there because, gang, there is a length to our obedience. Today, many of you are enjoying the fruits of somebody else's labor. You're enjoying the fruits of somebody else's obedience. Perhaps many years ago of a godly home, a godly teacher, or maybe a preacher. And instead of bemoaning the difficult hand we've given, been given in this life, why not praise God for the good things that have come to us? I'm serious. Why not just praise God? I have, a, I, you know, Steve Megley, I've discovered there's two ways to die. You can be walking down the sidewalk, have a heart attack, and be dead before you hit the sidewalk. That's one way. Or you can die the way that I'm dying, just a little bit at a time, here and there, and a little bit there, and a little bit there, and a little bit there. I, I, I don't know which one's the better. But I know this, instead of bemoaning the difficult hand I've been given, I found out I can also just say, God, thank you for the life you allow me to share in, for the friends you allow me to have, for the people that you've allowed me to touch. Thank you for the places you've allowed me to go. Thank you, Lord. Why not, gang? Instead of bemoaning the fact, well, there's temptations all about me. It's hard to live in this world. Why not? Instead of giving the devil his due, why not give God his due? And say, thank you, Lord. You're seeing me on this journey. You're seeing me through. You're walking with me. You're teaching me. You're touching me. Why not say, Lord, I love you. I love you. I appreciate you so much. God, you've been so merciful. You've been so kind. You've been so gracious. Lord, I love you. Thank you, Lord. Why not learn to say thank you to God? And this morning, I praise my God. I lift my hands and I say thank you because of someone else's obedience. The Bible says of Jesus that he was obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God has also given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. You see, understanding, if you're here this morning, you're here because of somebody else's obedience. If you're saved and on your way to heaven, you're here and saved because of somebody else's obedience. Jesus Christ, who was obedient to death, even the death of the cross. So I say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I told you a minute ago that I, I probably tell my wife I love her a dozen times a day. Because I didn't know if I'd ever have an opportunity to do it again. In the same way, I want you to know something. I tell Jesus, thank you, Jesus, every day. Many times a day, just say, thank you, Jesus. I'm not going to bemoan the hand that I've been dealt. I want to thank you for the one that I didn't deserve by the death of you upon the cross of Calvary. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I praise you, God. I praise you. I love you. I worship you. I adore you. Thank you, Jesus. Did you know that you can have a Savior like that in your life? That the obedience of Jesus Christ on the cross has opened a door for you to receive something in your life that you could not otherwise have had. 
You should have been crucified. You should have suffered and died. You should have hung on the cross in disgrace. But Jesus, God's son, took your place. Now, it's a great gift. But it's only a gift under the tree until you take it out and open it. Would you do that? Lord Jesus, I pray for this congregation. For these friends, Lord, who made up a loving congregation, a loving church. And I pray, God, for each of them. I pray, Lord, I started to say I want to pray especially for the men in this congregation to help them, God, to when the temptations come, and they surely will come, to be able to say, no, I just think I'm going to be obedient. I just think I'm going to be obedient because of my children, my grandchildren, because of my friends, because of others whose lives I can touch. And if my acts today are going to carry out into the future, let my act today be one of obedience. I ask these favors be granted in Jesus' name. If there's a decision that needs to be made, it needs to be made public. We invite you to come as we stand together and sing the hymn of invitation.